Good morning, everyone. And good morning, Los Angeles, to a new year. We're still here, and you are too. And so we invite you to come join us. If you're listening from the windows or in the Santa Fe building or Little Tokyo or the Artist District, we are City Bible Church. And so come join us. Yes? Amen? All right, we're here to praise our God. Um, And so today, um, what we are going to be doing is we do this every first Sunday of the year. We talk about who we are as a church, a little bit about where we're going. And uh, we're going to be returning back to our series, Life, uh, which is an exploration of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John uh, next week. And the reason why I mention that is because today is not a sermon. Uh, We're going to have a sermon next week and the weeks following. What today is about is taking a Sunday to come together and remind ourselves of uh, why is it important to be part of a church? Why is the church important in the world, specifically our 21st century world? Why is that important? Secondly, who are we? specifically at City Bible Church. If you look throughout the pages of the New Testament, the church at Galatia uh, had a certain uh, d- was dealing with certain issues, but those were different than the issues that the church of Corinth was de- dealing with, or the church at Ephesus was dealing with, or the church at Thessalonica was dealing with. It was the same Jesus, the same Word of God, the same God, the same Holy Spirit, the same body of Christ, but they were each church had a different Um, mission and was dealing with different things, had a certain kind of identity. And so we're going to look at also who are we specifically as City Bible Church. And thirdly, what we're going to be doing today um, is asking ourselves, what do we need to do to be unified as a church, to be in alignment with what God wants? Paul said to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 2, if you are of one spirit, of one mind in Christ, then make my joy complete by moving of being in one purpose. If you're in any encouragement in the Lord, and so we're going to look at that today. Why is this important? Who are we, and what do we need to be uh, doing to be unified? <clears throat> my goal today is for you to walk away from this service and have a renewed sense of urgency about who the church is a renewed sense of urgency about what you're doing here, why you're involved. My goal today is that you walk away with clarity uh, for what you have signed up for to be here at this church. I want you to know that uh, I love this church. I love you guys. You may not love me, but you do. Thank you. Thank you, Anita. But I love you guys. And I love the Lord. I consider myself privileged to be your pastor. Uh, City Bible Church in many ways has exceeded my expectations of who we have become. Uh, I'm very hopeful about the future and where God is going to lead us. I ardently believe that 2022 uh, will be our best year yet, and God is going to do extraordinary things through us going forward in the future. You should know that. I believe that about God, and I believe in you. That said, 
I think there are several things we need to look at this morning. And what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to treat you like adults. You know? <laughs> and, you know, that sounds like a funny thing to say, but oftentimes in church, we don't treat you like mature Christians. Uh, sometimes we treat you like baby Christians. We treat you like uh, kind of these spiritual infants. We say, we're going to do everything for you. We're not going to ask anything hard of you. We're not going to challenge you with challenging sermons. Um, we're not going to put you in positions of deep sacrifice and, and see if you respond to that. We're not going to call you to the high calling of upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we make things too easy for us as Christians. And so when I say I'm going to speak to you as adults, what I really mean is I'm going to speak to you today as if um, we're in a time of war. I'm going to speak to you today as if you are all church leaders. You're all pastors. You're all missionaries. And that's how I'm going to treat you today. You're not church attenders. You're not volunteers. You're not church tourists today. You're missionaries. You're theologians. You are people who understand that the days are evil, and so we are called to redeem the time. And so uh, it is to those ends, uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and get into it. Father, this morning, as we come together, as uh, my words, which I hope are your words, go out into the open air of downtown Los Angeles, into the hearing ears of the church and perhaps the people around us, may we be reminded that uh, we are the body of Christ. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We are the ones who declare your, God, your glory so that the heavenly hosts in heaven may know that you are God. And so, Lord, uh, may our church, City Bible Church, may you continue to bless her, grow her, protect her, so that we may, through your spirit, advance the kingdom of God, that we may crash down on the gates of hell and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, snatching some as if we were taking them as firebrands out of the fire, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, would you renew our sense of urgency, renew our minds to understand the difference between the light that we walk in and the dark that we live in in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's take a look at this this morning. Why is this important for us to be together as a church? Uh, let's begin there. The Bible says in the Old Testament, in the book of First Chronicles, chapter 12, that as it lists all these mighty men of David that stood with him during his time of trial, there's a tribe, uh, a group of men from the tribe of Issachar in First Chronicles, chapter 12. And they're the smallest group that joined David, but it says that they were very important because they understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. That was their role. They could interpret the times around us, them, and they understood what God's people should do. Jesus said in Matthew 16, something fairly similar. He said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he said, you know, you know how to interpret the, the sky around you, the appearance of the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the sign of the times. 
And just like the men of Issachar in the Old Testament, just like Jesus was speaking in, in the New Testament, we need to begin this morning, not with who we are as a church, but we need to begin this morning by asking ourselves a question, why is this important that we're here? And to answer that question, we have to be able to interpret the times around us. We have to interpret the cultural sky around us. We need to understand our times and know what God's people should do. How are you understanding the times in which we live in? How are you interpreting the times in which we live in? If we cannot interpret and understand, we cannot know why it's important for the church for us to be here. When I look at the world around us in 2022, how I understand it, how I interpret it, is I am looking around at our culture and I see people divided. I see people living in hatred. I see people experiencing tremendous brokenness, lostness. I see us divided in our politics, divided in our race, divided between the rich and the poor, divided on our definitions of human identity, divided on our positions on who's going to live or die and what this virus means. And, and, and we're just literally at each other's throats. I was just talking, Lorraine mentioned uh, yesterday or this morning, she goes, you know, nobody trusts each other anymore. Do we? When you turn on the news, when we're listening to people on, on YouTube or whatever it is on our social media, we're like, who do you even believe? That's what I see happening in our world. That's my interpretation. And what you have in that kind of chaotic world in which we live in is the world now offering solutions to the chaos of our world. And what is our world's solutions to the chaos of our world? It goes like this. The world's solutions to the chaos and the darkness around us is that we will divide ourselves into warring tribes of identity politics. The world's solution is we will try and fix the inherent hatred that human beings have for one another through the BLM movement. The world's solution to the chaos around us is that we will need to just coalesce to save the environment because that's our top priority. The world's solution is, you know what, um, we, we have to just redefine the entire language of who we are as, as people in the language of androgyny. The world has gone from male and female to male and male and female and female to male and female can now def define themselves in any way they want to male XX chromosome and female or XO chromosome and female XO chromo XX chromosome. You know, it's hard. XX chromosome are now defined as male and female IO input output digital selves. We don't know who we are anymore. The world solution is uh, we will free ourselves from the tyranny, the economic tyranny through a crypto. Currency conversation. Uh, you know, you listen to the world's solutions to all of our problems. 
These people are incredible evangelists. They are, aren't they? You listen to the world solution. The people who are evangelizing you into their political views, their racial views, their environmental views, their definition of human identity views, their cryptocurrency views on future financial freedom. These people are evangelists. These people are passionate. These people are saying, you need to sign up for what I'm talking about because it'll change the world. This will fix the world. You know, it's ironic because uh, in the latter 20th century, one of the lines that used to go around was we used to say to Christians to make Christians feel guilty that they weren't evangelizing people. We would say to people, you know, um, you know the, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they're far greater evangelists than evangelical Christians. And it's true, right? You see the Mormons out there, the guys in the black tie and the white shirts, and they're doing that for two years as part of, you know, what they signed up for. And we would just feel good. Today, in our world, uh, the evangelists are not the Mormons and the Jehovah's that we need to compare ourselves to. It's all these other evangelists for the worldly causes that we've just been talking about. And the world's solution to the chaos and darkness in the world today is when it comes to areas of spirituality. The fastest growing category of belief today is not Christianity. It's not Islam. Islam's a world player on the world stage, two billion people. But the projections, you know, up to 2050 are that maybe 6% of America will be part of Islam. And it's not Buddhism. It is the fastest growing spiritual category. The solution of spirituality the world's offering us today in the 21st century is what? I'm spiritual. I'm good. I'm just not into organized religion. And so this is the world in which we live. Is this what you are seeing? Is this what you are understanding? Is this what you are interpreting of our world? And when you come to the church today, at the, at, at the first quarter of the 21st century, it is undeniably clear the evidence of six decades is clear that the church of Jesus Christ in America is in decline. It's undeniable. There are hundreds of books that have been written, PhD dissertations that have been written, conferences that have been written about this. This thing has been talked about for six decades among pastors. This goes something, this is about something far beyond Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny taking over Christmas and Easter. What this is about is a wholesale decline of the American church in America today. When you look at the data between the builder generation to the boomer generation, from the boomer generation to the Gen X generation, from the Gen X generation to the millennial generation, from the millennial generation to the Gen Z generation, what you discover, to bottom line it, of what has been happening over the past six decades has been there has been a rapid decline in church attendance and a rapid decline of biblical beliefs. And the younger the generation, the more rapid decline. And so what has been the church's response to this? Thus far, it hasn't worked. It's clear. 
I don't care what church philosophy you have, what church model you have, it hasn't worked. And it's not to say that it's all up to us, but the reality is, is that when you look at the church today, across a broader landscape here in the West, what we have is churches capitulating to culture. We have churches that are taking the gospel, prostituting it to the world, and saying, Jesus came so that you could live your best life now. Jesus came so that you could live a more healthy, wealthy, and prosperous life. Jesus came so that he just his biggest concern was that there's just social justice in this world. And this has become the message of the church in the 21st century. What has happened to the church in the 21st century is we have treated you as if you were consumers of Christianity. We have treated you as if we are, we have told you that we are essentially uh, living in a peacetime spiritual world. And it is that combination of institutional Christianity being viewed in a time of spiritual peacetime that has created a church full of consumers. That's why we have the term, I'm going church shopping. That's why we have churches that look more like a mall than it does like a dynamic movement. And we have created a Christian institution that is based on greed, power, and the fame of certain Christian superstars. We have told you, too many Christians, that the goal of Christianity is simply that you be good citizens of this earthly kingdom. That you grow up as a Christian and your goal is to not be single, get married, have kids, have a house, have a car, have a good bank account, and then serve as a volunteer at church. I'm speaking at this college retreat in about three weeks, and I just asked the college students, I said, hey, tell me, what you're, tell me what, uh, what's on your mind. So the college leaders, they, they asked, you know, college students are going to be there, and uh, I got the responses back on the Google spreadsheet, and, you know, it comes back like what you'd expect. These college students are saying what's on their mind. Uh, I, 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 need, I need help with my dating life. I, I'm stressed about school. Uh, I don't know what to do with my life, what my career's going to be like. Hey, I get it. We were all there one day. Is that legit concerns? Those are legitimate at some level. But you know what you didn't see in any of the responses? I am concerned about people who are perishing and lost without Christ. I didn't see that. I am concerned about the poor and the, and the oppressed and the suffering in this world. I didn't see that. I didn't see any any response that said, you know, I'm concerned about deep sin in my life and to live a more holy life. And we're teaching the young people to think about their Christian faith as simply, who can I get married to? What is my career going to be? And just how can I have less stress in my life? God becomes essentially uh, a moral therapeutic candy machine to dispense us with blessings. I hate to paint the picture so bleak, but if I'm honest, that is what I see. And I think I'm okay to make that determination given the fact I've been in ministry for about 25 to 30 years, given the fact I've now written two books on the future of the church. You have to hear it straight out. And what we should have been doing in the church is we should have instead been saying to you all of this time, you are 
to live as sojourners in this world. You are to live as exiles in this world. We are in a world that is not just non-Christian. We are in a world that is now anti-Christian. And that is not a spiritually peacetime world. That is a time where we are spiritually at war, not against people, but we are spiritually at war against the principalities and powers and authorities in this dark world. And we have God on our side. No pastor believes these these surveys, these polls. Anyone who's in ministry on the ground level does not believe when you hear these stats that say things like, well, yes, according to our research, uh, 50% of people in America are Christian. They say they're Christian. And then when you look at those stats, you, you realize that Christian is defined in these research as, did you go to church at Christmas and Easter? And that's defined as Christian. No pastor believes that. In fact, if I was to make an honest, educated guess about how many people are actually Christian who say they are, I'd say it's maybe one out of 10. That's a guess. One out of 10. Maybe. If we're fortunate. What you have to realize here at City Bible Church is that if we say that maybe one out of 10, and that might be generous, of Americans are actually truly born-again Christians, what you have to realize is that you being here at City Bible Church, if you were to take one out of 10 people who are Christian, the fact that you're at this type of church, and hey, there's a lot of great churches. I'm not saying we're the only one. The fact that you're here, you're probably in the 1% of those Christians. Not in terms of how great you are, but in terms of you being here by definition is you saying, I am signing up for the mission. I'm signing up for the future. There's that 1% conversation in economics. You know, you're really, in my view, part of the 1% of those who are actually Christian. How many Christians would come to a Sunday morning in downtown LA in 50, 60 degree weather? How many Christians would engage with an area like this? And I have to say I'm very proud of you. And so it is in that context to understand what we are doing here, why this is important. Paul, Peter, both said that the church, the universal church, is the light in the darkness. And so as you think about why this is important, you need to think and say, do I believe the evil of the world around me that's being described? Is that my interpretation? Is that my understanding? Do I believe it's important for us to be here? Do I believe it's important to be part of a church that is not just catering to my every need and whim, making this the most comfortable Christian experience? But I'm part of a church that's calling out the best that Christ has in me. And uh, if that's you, then we want you to be here. And so this is why it's important. 
Who are we as a church? Who specifically is City Bible Church? As we mentioned before, many of the New Testaments had a particular uh, character to them. And uh, there are many, many great churches in Los Angeles, across the world. We are one of the good churches. But who specifically are we? Uh, to answer that question, you should really start uh, with who am I? Now, I'm not saying I'm more important than God and Jesus. And the, I'm not saying that, that. That goes without saying, okay? Who is God? We understand that, right? But when you show up at a church, the first thing that you should do, if you're trying to figure out if you're going to be part of that church, is you should look at one person. And you know how that one person is? It's the lead pastor. And I'm not saying don't look at Jesus. I'm not saying that, right? This, that's assume. Why do I say that? I say that because you can go to different churches, and you have to understand the church is an organism. Church is the body of Christ. Church is something that's organic. And so who the lead pastor is will shape the entire culture of that particular church. And so what you need to know about me is that uh, I'm not like probably a lot of the pastors that many of you have been involved in. Um, I like to think that we worship the same God, we teach the same Bible, but there's a certain type of pastor that I am that's very important that you understand. Most Christians would probably not want to be around a pastor like me. I think to know me is to love me personally, but not everyone thinks so. Uh, I think most Christians would want to rather be around a pastor who feels more like a Barnabas. Barnabas was, his name is the son of encouragement, right? Barnabas came along Paul, and he was the friend. He was loyal to John Mark. And I think a lot of us, when we look at pastors, we want a Barnabas figure in our, in our world. We want someone who will be a constant encouragement to us, someone who will never leave us, someone who will be completely loyal to us, someone who is the, the ultimate friend, someone who will counsel us in the way that we can have this Barnabas-like figure. And those people are very, very important. I think other of us, we've had experiences maybe with a pastor like Luke. Luke was a doctor. Luke was meticulous. Luke was super organized, right? And that's why he wrote this, this sequence account in the Gospel of Luke. And you need pastors like that. You need Barnabases. You need Luke. You need pastors like John, the Apostle John, who is the Apostle of Love, right? And some pastors, you get around them, and they are just the most loving people. They'll help you move when you move from your apartment to your house. You know, they will drop at a moment's notice, you know, to come help you fix your flat tire on your car. And, and you know what? We need pastors like John. And uh, I would want to aspire to be more like Barnabas, Luke, and John. But you know what? I am not primarily like those people. I am probably more like the Apostle Paul. I would never compare myself anywhere near to who Paul is. But if I had to become, compare myself more to one than the other, Paul was a missionary. Paul was a church planter. Paul loved the people. Paul led people to Christ. Paul was a missional shepherd. 
And to be part of City Bible Church and to understand who we are, you have to understand that about me. My job here, I do not see my job to take care of you. I have to shepherd you. But really, my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry to each other. My job is to help you pastor yourselves. My job is to feed you the word of God. And my job here, as I see it, is to challenge you. And hopefully, to see God bring out the best in you. And the reason why people like me are important is because we do not live in peacetime. We live in a spiritual war. We do not live in a time of institutional Christianity. That model is gone. Anyone who looks and honestly looks at where the world is today can recognize that. What you need and what the church needs more of are people who will come alongside the church and say, we are going to take this sheep hen and we're going to move it directly into the woods. And it is through that that God is going to do his greatest work. One of the things I'm going to tell these college students when I speak at that retreat is, hey, you know what? God is there for you in your anxiety, in your needs, and he wants to hear your prayers. Don't get me wrong, okay? That, there are many legitimate human needs that you have, and God wants to be part of that. That said, part of your biggest problem is that you need to take the focus off yourself and say, I'm going to recommit myself to making disciples. I'm going to recommit myself to helping the poor and those who are less fortunate than me. I'm going to recommit myself to saying, how can I deny myself, sacrifice myself, and pick up my cross and follow the Lord? And in doing that, it will put your other problems into perspective. And God will use that to heal you. And so hopefully you're still with me. Um, But who is City Bible Church as a reflection of that? Uh, We are called, uh, eight years ago now, someone was saying, after I I had, uh, Lorraine and I uh, had moved on from our previous church, and uh, as we were thinking about starting this church, so I had a conversation with someone, and they go, what are you going to do next? And I said to them, I think I want to start another church. And I said, and if I do end up starting another church, I know exactly what I want it to be called. It's going to be called City Bible Church because each one of those words are going to be extremely important in the 21st century post-Christian context. Now, I want you to do me a favor. You know our name. I want you to say our name because we've gotten into this bad habit of not calling ourselves our name. We start calling ourselves City Bible. City Bible is not doesn't mean anything. We are City Bible Church. I want you to say that with me together, okay? Let's say it together. City Bible There we go. That last word is really important. We are not City Bible. We are City Bible Church. And we're going to force ourselves to say all three words because all three words are important. I've been wanting to say that for like nine months. (laughs) All right. So uh, briefly, City Why do we say the word city? The city is the place and the context you need to put yourself in to make disciples. It does not mean that the rural areas, the suburban areas do not matter. You need churches everywhere. There are amazing churches there. I'm not saying that. 
what I'm saying is that the city is the place that drives the political discourse. It drives the shaping of economic policy. It drives the production of culture and art. It produces some of the, the most widest ranging teachings on spirituality. And as the church has fled the city, and really, to be honest, society has fled the city, at least here in L.A., the church needs to do the opposite and come to the center of that. Human history began in the garden, but it will end in the city. It began in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, but human history will end in the city of the New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why the majority of people now live within driving distance of a city here in America. And yes, COVID has changed things with remote. Uh, We get that. But we need to make disciples in the city. I I was just, I I was driving up to church this morning. And, uh, you know, I, I just turned on the radio and it happened to be a, I don't even know who this person's name was. He was a preacher giving a sermon. And I, I was just listening to, you know, the last 10 minutes of a drive, and Ethan was in the car, and this guy was on um, on the radio, and he was talking about, I guess they were going through a series on the Gospels, and he said something that I completely disagreed with. He said specifically, you know, when Matthew says in Matthew 28 that uh, we are to go out into the world and make disciples, he says, no, we're not. I was like, who is this guy? He's like, no, you know, it, it, because the Great Commission doesn't appear in the Gospel of John and uh, uh, Mark and Luke. And, uh, you know, you don't see the disciples doing that throughout the New Testament. You just see them preaching the Word of God, having communion, praying. But they're not actually getting people into groups to go and make disciples of, of people. That, that's just this one command. I was like, who is this person on the radio? They should put me on there. No, no just kidding. Um, but I, 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 you know, I was looking at that. I go, there's so much confusion out there. If you're not making disciples, you're not part of the solution. I, I cannot say it any other way. You know, some of you, the church has done a great disservice to you. What the church has done is it has told you in the past, your job here as, as the church is to just volunteer. We call you volunteers. Just volunteer some of your spare time. You're not a volunteer. I'm not a volunteer. We're a servant. What the church has said to you is that you're a volunteer. The church has said to you, it's okay to just be in the tender. The church has said to you, just um, find a church that meets all your needs. And... Um, it's really done a disservice to you. What we should be doing instead is saying to you, every single one of us should be doing what Paul did, what Jesus did, and that is to say this, follow me as I follow Christ. And if if you've been thinking that your church experience here is, I'll come and volunteer, and I'll attend, this is the wrong church for you. 
what I am expressly trying to do is to encourage every single one of you to see your Christian faith in such a way to where you could turn to someone else and say to them, follow me as I follow Christ. What I'm doing with my money, I want you to do, you, you should follow my example. Um, what I'm watching on the internet, you should follow my example. What, what I'm devoting my time to in terms of what I think will bring about the greatest change in the world, you should do the same thing as me. Follow me as I follow Christ. That really cuts to the core, doesn't it? And Jesus, that's why Jesus said, follow me. You know, drop your nets, follow me. That's why Paul said to the Corinthian church, follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, because it forces me to live it out. It forces me to say, uh, I can't live in a, as consistently as a hypocrite if, and, and, and if I'm not calling people to do the same as me. If you're older here and you want to make disciples to follow you as you follow Christ, come to the city. It's really easy to hide your Christian faith in a tract home. Uh, but when you come into community with groups of people, there's brokenness everywhere, but that brokenness is, is more up front for people to see. If you're here to make disciples, I want to say this to you if you're older. If you're an older Christian, hey, you, you may be like 35, but you've been a Christian for 20 years. So you're older. Or maybe you're like in your 50s and you're actually, you know, numerically older. But if you're older, I, I cannot impress upon you the importance of being an example to those who are younger. To those who are younger in the faith. To those who are newer as Christians. We have a, a bunch of people at our Cerritos location. These, uh, uh, many of the people who, um, who have a ministry in China or who are here. And, uh, they were here at our Christmas service. And I, I went up to a, a group of, of them and just amazing people. And I was so inspired because one, one of the people who came to faith in our church two years ago at our church retreat, she's just so on fire for the Lord. And the Lord's using her in amazing ways. And you know who I'm talking about. And she's leading people to Christ. And every time I interact with this person, I get fired up. And I say, you know, I, I've, I've got to be fired up too. Because I don't want her to consistently set for me the example for me as someone who's older. I want to be the example for her and for others who are younger in the faith. My kids, you guys. doesn't mean that you won't outshine me at times. You will. But I will make you this promise. I will commit myself to not allowing you to consistently outshine me in the areas of the faith. If you're older, you cannot live your Christian life in a way that's not dignified, in a way that's not worthy of emulation by those younger Christians. If you're younger, what you should be doing 
is two things. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, set an example for other believers, essentially that are older than you, in your life, in your speech, in your love, in your purity. If you're younger, set an example for the rest of us. And you want the older people who are being dragged down with their own own issues, they'll follow. If you're younger, what you should be doing is looking for, follow me on this. This is very important for those of you, a lot of you guys are younger here. Find older Christians that you want your life to emulate and attach your life to theirs. You know why? Is because there's a lot of older Christians who will put before you an example that is very successful in the eyes of the world. And if you get around those Christians and you discover that there's so many older Christians whose spiritual life is a life of mediocrity and the Christian thing is just kind of added on to the worldly success, you're going to become like that. And do you want that for your life? Uh, when I was younger, when I was 23 years old, I made a decision for my life. I said, I will determine who I will hang out with, who will become my friends, who will not become my friends, based on who was making disciples of Jesus Christ or who was willing to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And anyone who did not fall into those ta- two categories, I didn't spend time with. And I was ruthless about that because I aligned my life around saying we need to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm saying to you is you should evaluate. You are consider evaluating that as, that as a primary criteria. If you're single here, this is your time to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, when I was single all those years, uh, that that's what I'd be doing. You know, I, I was... Well, I'll get into that later on. Bible. The Bible is what we teach, counsel, and equip believers for the work of ministry in. It's what we teach, counsel, and equip believers for the work of ministry in. In our culture today, the Bible teacher has been replaced by the spiritual guru. In our culture today, the biblical counselor has been replaced by the psychic by psychedelics and the psychiatrist. What the Bible is, is something we need to hold up to the highest esteem, to renew our minds, Romans 12, to equip us for ministry, Ephesians 4, to prepare us for every good work, 2 Timothy 3. The Bible is here that we hold up in this church as we teach it, as we counsel through it, to equip us discover our ministry. Um, what ministry do you have? What ministry has God placed on your heart? This church will be an amazing church when every single person discovers the ministry that God has placed on their heart. And what we say to people is that if you, God has placed something on your heart, to help people, to bless people, to honor the Lord. Don't wait for us to ask you. We're going to ask you to do things, 
But the best type of ministry that you discover is the one that God has placed on your heart. And you say, you know, I, how, how can we make this happen? And the elders will come around you. The leaders will come around you. The deacons say, let's make this happen. Like Chris came up with this idea of doing his apologetics class. We said, how can we make this happen? Peter and Marcus had this idea for an archer. We said, how can we make this happen? Earl had this idea for Lord of the Games. We said, how can we make this happen? And so many others. But you know what? The best ministry that you can have in this church is not necessarily starting this whole big ministry. I mean, Lorraine had her mercies ministries, Lord uh, um, Olive Crest and Hope Gardens. That's another example. The best ministry you can have is simply just informally ministering to one another. You know, I hear so many stories about you guys. I don't even know they happen until far after the fact where someone will tell me, hey, did you know what so-and-so did for so-and-so? You know, they had extra money. They helped them out. They gave them a ride when they needed a ride. Uh, they, this person was going through distress and they just came to them. That's the best type of ministry. It's not necessarily a program. It's what happens organically. That cannot happen if you're not in community. And isn't it a beautiful thing when God uses you in that way, how much of your life is spent where you're like, and my life just, I'm, I'm just, I'm wasting time. Or, you know, it's like, I don't know what to give my life to. Or it feels so empty, so meaningless. I, and then all of a sudden God steps into your life and you start ministering in his name to people and it becomes something beautiful. It starts to heal you. God starts to use you, starts to create the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And that's what, that's what uh, the Lord does. And that's what the Bible equips you to do. Lastly, for today, the word church. City, Bible, church. We define church as a movement of faith, hope, and love. A movement of faith, hope, and love. When you come to the church, uh, you get warned of a lot of things that can uh, sink your faith. We tell you, uh, you got to watch out for false teaching. We tell you that you have to watch out for sin in your life. We tell you that you have to watch out for the temptations of the world. You have to be aware of demonic forces. All of these things can be destructive to your faith. And that's true. That is absolutely true. But you know, there's one thing that we normally don't talk about that you need to be aware of that is um, equally devastating to your faith. And that is spiritual stagnation. Being spiritually stuck is a destructive force in your life. Anything that's not moving is in the process of dying. God relates to you through movement. He wants the church to not just be a movement, but to be moving through him. God relates to us through movement. He led the Israelites through the cloud by day and the fire by night in the Old Testament. Jesus relates to us through movement. He says, follow me. The Holy Spirit relates to us through movement. If you live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5, 
The Bible is a moving spiritual force in your life. It is active and living and able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Hebrews 4. The church is a moving community. It advances the kingdom of God. Spiritual movement is crucial. And there are too many Christians that get stuck. And what it does is starts to breed decay in their life. And so we want to be a church here of moving Christians that are moving with God through faith, hope, and love. I want you to learn about the faith, but I also want you to live by faith. And there's a difference. There's a difference between learning the doctrinal content about the faith, which is crucial, that's foundational. You need to do that. There's a, but there's a difference between learning about it and actually living by faith. And are we Christians that are actually living by faith? There's a difference between learning about hope and enduring in hope. There's a difference between hoping in the wrong things and saying, there will come times in my life when I will be called upon to simply endure, to hold on to the hope that I have professed. What will happen to you when that time comes in your life? And it will come. It will come. Your personal, you will be the one to suffer. You will see the suffering around you. People will leave you. Some unexpected thing will come into your life. And what will happen to you in that moment? God's grace is enough for you to persevere. And it's difficult, but you need to be part of a community of people who are enduring in hope to encourage you in that. Love. We want to love in the way of Jesus. At this church, uh, we don't make love easy for you. There's plenty of easy love out there. At this church, we want love to be sacrificial. We want love to be defined as sometimes I need to say hard things to a person that needs to hear it. We want love to be where when you see people are mourning, we come around those who are mourning. When we see people who are something to be celebrated in their life, we want to celebrate with them. And this is who we are at City Bible Church. This is why you should be here. God is going to continue to move within us through faith, through hope, through love. We will continue to make disciples and we will give people the word of God. And we're going to see, I believe, God part the waters in front of us going forward. And you're going to be part of it. There's an extreme urgency in our world today. And if you're part of this church, uh, God will 
bless you and he will bring life to us. And so um, we're going to close together right now and um, I'm going to call up the worship team. Oh, yeah. Call up the worship team as we close in communion. And what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to pray over our communion elements. And when I conclude, I'm going to invite you to come to the communion table to receive communion. Matt's going to close us in worship as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Father, as we commit this time to you, uh, as even amidst all of the distractions that are happening, uh, they are not greater than the kingdom of God. Because as we approach this communion table, we declare the Lord's death. We declare his shed blood and his broken body is greater than the forces of this world. We declare that he has come to reconcile us, man, to God. And that we who believe have found new life in the name of Jesus Christ. We declare that as we receive this communion, that you have brought together the church. You have brought together City Bible Church to declare the praises of your glory into a dark and lost world. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you as we receive communion. May your grace be upon us. May your grace be upon us, Lord. We need your forgiveness. We need to recommit ourselves now or remind ourselves of the need for Christ. Would you do a work within us now as we receive communion? In Jesus' name, amen.